if season one was a year in a season, then from season two, every three episodes, we jump a year. So it becomes this very focused, very lasered juggernaut of storytelling, and it's very exciting to be a part of. What up, y'all? Welcome to another installment of the Dagobah Dispatch, where we talk all Star Wars all the time because we are pathetic and have nothing better to do with our lives. But there's nothing pathetic about this week's episode. Au contraire, mon frere, we have an amazing episode for you this week. For one thing, we have some amazing guests. Andy Circus and Genevieve O'Reilly are joining us. That's right. We've got Mon Mothma and Kino Loy in the proverbial house. I guess Snoke as well, for that matter. We, smo- we spoke to the Andor actors before the SAG after strike, and we've got that chat for you today. But that's not all we have. We have a big Star Wars cover to talk about, an entertainment weekly Star Wars cover that just dropped, and it is a cover on Ahsoka, and it was written by my co-host, so we have plenty to get into, and we also have some big Lando news to discuss, so much to get to, so let's get to it. I am Dalton Ross, joined as always by Devin Kogan, who's been in the back to tank for the past few days. Uh, How are you feeling, Devin? I'm good. I'm here and I am excited to get into a little bit of Ahsoka. We've been working on this for, you know, a couple of weeks now and uh, a couple of months, you know, going back to all the great interviews you did at Star Wars Celebration. And so um, this one's been in the works for the for a while and I'm, I'm excited that it's finally out in the world. Yeah, some like, you know, uh, uh, let's take people behind the scenes a little bit, uh, Devin, of this this cover, like you said. Um we were at Star Wars Celebration. Um, I got COVID there. That was fun. And uh, we were going to shoot an Ahsoka cover there. And uh, for whatever reason, it's just like, you know, it's crazy there. The timing, the logistics, it just didn't work out. I was like, oh my God, what a bummer. Devin and I are so excited for this show and we want to work together on this cover. Now it's not going to happen. Well, we were able to work with, with Lucasfilm and Disney to get a uh, kick-ass motion cover. And if you haven't seen it, just go to like the EW Twitter. Uh, it's right at the top there. It's, it'll be pinned. And uh, turn your sound on. That's the one thing I can say. Turn, make sure you unclick like the mute button or whatever, the little thing, and make sure you hear the sound because it makes it like a million times better. It's super cool. And um, and then Devin just rock and rolled and kicked ass on this cover story. Um, she was able to talk to everyone before the strike, because we know they went on lockdown and strike devs, even though this thing just came out in August, you had to get these interviews done before they'd stop talking. Uh, oh, yeah. We, we locked all these interviews. Um, you know, you spoke to, to Dave Filoni before the writer strike. Um, and then we we spoke to, you know, pretty much the entire cast and, and team, you know, before uh, uh, back in June. So we've been we've been working on this for a while. And um, it's nice that it's finally out in the world. So let, let's talk about your story. And of course, you know, everyone, please go check it out. And when I mentioned, if you go to EW's Twitter um, and you'll see it right there or Facebook, I guess, or any of the, any of the social medias, you'll see it there. You can see the cover, but make sure to click on the actual story. You want to read yeah, the story. Yeah, that's also important. <laughs> so, you know, that's where you get the words. Uh, and that's where you'll get to hear from from the cast. 
So um, let's just start big picture. You, you spoke to the, the cast, you spoke to Rosario Dawson, and we'll get into some things in the story, sort of some plot points and things here and there. But just what was your takeaway from chatting with everyone about uh, this very, um, you know, this series that everyone's been really looking forward to, some fans for now, 15 years? Yeah, it was really cool. And, you know, I, I specifically loved getting to talk to Rosario about this, you know, kind of this role in this character, because she's she's a really thoughtful interview. I hadn't interviewed her before. But she is somebody who she loves this character so much. Talking to her is, I say this in my story, it's like a little bit like talking to like the kind of nerd who would host a Star Wars podcast, like that level Talking of nerdery. Are you comparing um, me to Rosario Dawson? Because I will take that comparison. I will take it. But she's like, you'll talk to her and she, you know, she talks about Ahsoka and she talks about Ahsoka's journey and how, you know, this is a character she kind of, you know, had followed and kind of fallen in love with. And then, you know, people started to fan cast her as this character back in, um, you know, back in 2017. Um, and now she's played this character for a couple of years, you know, both on Book of Boba Fett and in The Mandalorian. But, you know, she'll reference, you know, specific moments from Clone Wars episodes or, you know, Ahsoka in Tales of the Jedi or things like that. And, she, and like, you know, picking Dave Filoni's brain and wanting to know everything about this character and, and kind of tracing her journey and how she kind of, you know, levels up and, and, you know, how even though she's already grown so much, there's still so much growth still to go. And so it was just a really fun, nerdy conversation that, you know, sometimes you talk to these actors and, you know, oh my gosh, they're playing such and such superhero. And they're like, yeah, I didn't read it in the comics. I don't know anything about anything. Rosario is not like that. She's like, I did all of my research. I trained for months to, you know, basically be ambidextrous to use these two lightsabers. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary. So she was a really fun interview. And, you know, speaking to everyone, there, there's a real passion for this show and, and everybody it, it was interesting to speak to everybody kind of after Star Wars celebration, because I think, you know, some of these cast members um, like Natasha Lou Bordizzo or, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, you know, they talked about like just the, the experiencing like the fandom and the excitement over the show and how it's like, it's start starting to finally kind of feel real for them. Um, so it was really interesting to get to, to talk to all of them and, and just some, some fun details throughout, like, um, just things that, about like, you know, the training process and the crazy makeup that they had to go through. I loved getting to talk to specifically Rosario and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays Hera, and uh, Lars Mikkelsen, who plays Thrawn, um, about just like the crazy makeup process that they had to go through, spending hours each day in the in the the makeup chair. And they all said, you know, originally it started around like three or four hours, but they were able to get it down to like an hour, an hour and a half. And um, like, they were like, we're not really sure how it's going to look on screen until we see it. And they said, you know, there's all these different, you know, basically these different colors they have to use based on whether they're shooting in natural sunlight or whether they're shooting in front of the volume, because like if they shoot in front of the volume, then Ahsoka looks like a weird maroon color and it just doesn't work. And so it was just very interesting to talk to all of them about like all those weird little, you know, details that go into bringing these characters to life. Well, I'm glad that you got that sense from them talking to them, just, you know, over a Zoom or over a phone or what have you, because, you know, I picked up on the same thing you picked up on, but it was at Star Wars Celebration. Like, you yeah. know, I mean, they're, they're, they're living in the moment. They're just off the stage. They're hyped up. But I really, listen, it's one of the biggest cliches. Devin knows it from being in the industry. And you guys uh, who aren't in the industry just have, I'm sure, heard interviews where people say this or read interviews where people are like, oh, we're like a family or this or that. Right. It's kind of like you roll your eyes a little bit. You hear it all the time. It's, this is one of the instances where I, I really kind of like 
believe them to an extent. Like they, they really felt like, like when I did spoke to the four villains together and obviously we'll, we'll get into that and now some sadness surrounding that interview. But like when I spoke to them together, like just, I, they were so ebullient and they were just like playing so much t- together and they were just like huge smiles. And like, they talk about joshing around on set and then, um, you know, Lars Mickelson talking about crying at the panel, like when seeing the, the crowd reaction to his, him coming back to play this character of, of Grand Admiral Thrawn again and it, him getting all choked up and he was getting choked up while telling me. And it's just, I don't know, Devin, I can't put my hands on it. And I hope that we're not going to be disappointed because l- Lord knows, and I'm not talking about just Star Wars series, but how many times have we seen any show or movie and you're so pumped and excited and then it comes out and you're like, eh, you know, right. maybe I should have lowered my expectations a little bit. But without having seen a frame of Ahsoka, except for the trailers, um, it feels special already. Just like because of the buildup and just the cast, everything, it just, it feels special to me. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to, this is a real passion project for Dave Filoni. You know, everybody I talked to talked about how this is, this is his baby. You know, Ahsoka is a character he co-created with George Lucas 15 years ago um, for the animated Clone Wars movie. You know, this is a character he has followed, you know, basically built his entire career around. And, you know, I, I spoke to Carrie Beck, who's one of the executives at Lucasfilm. And she pointed out that basically the story of Ahsoka is kind of the story of Dave Filoni. I mean, they're, they're, it's a story of, you know, a young person who's essentially a Padawan to a, to a master, you know, you've got Ahsoka as Anakin's Padawan and uh, Dave as the Padawan essentially to George Lucas. Are you saying George Lucas turned to the dark side? Is that what you're trying to say? Is that I your- didn't make that comparison. <laughs> I'm I'm just repeating what what Lucasfilm exec Carrie Beck said. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, but no that that idea of you know kind of apprentice being an apprentice and then kind of becoming an, a master at something in your own and then kind of like what do you do next and kind of what is the the next step of your journey? That's something Rosario talked about uh, talking about with Dave a lot is um you know when we last see Ahsoka at the end of Rebels you know she's clad in all white she's sort of leveled up and um they compared it a lot to you know me i love a lord of the rings reference gandalf the gray versus gandalf the white and that's something they've talked about a lot before you know what happens when you know you've already grown and leveled up to become gandalf the white what's the what's the next step beyond that and that's sort of i think what this show is kind of about and it just seems like a real labor of love for everybody involved. And again, you and I do a lot of these interviews. We talk to a lot of, you know, actors in, in iconic franchises and stuff. But it was really, really fun to do to do these interviews because I think everybody involved cares so deeply and and cares so much about the story and every little, you know, piece of making this work. You know, something that came up over and over again is like everybody working on the show. And I think this is true for all Star Wars shows, but everybody making it is a fan of Star Wars, whether you are, you know, the PA or the makeup person or the grip or the lighting guy, they're all wearing Star Wars t-shirts. They're all going to Star Wars celebration on their days off. I mean, this is something that, you know, I think is is true on a lot of Star Wars series, but I think is especially true um, on Ahsoka, which was, you know, it's always, it's always fun to talk to people who are excited about the thing that they're making, you know, cause sometimes you do these interviews and they're just like, yeah, you know, it was fun. I showed up, I read my lines for a couple days, you know, it was, it was whatever, but this was, you know, a, a real part of these people's lives. And, um, you know, especially cause they filmed during the height of COVID, they were on lockdown. They really formed a family, as you said. I got it just to take people behind the scenes again. So the way it works, at Entertainment Weekly, when you have these big digital cover stories, is you have the writer, in this case, Devin, 
who writes the story. Then you have a few different editors that basically micromanage the story, <laughs> like look at it and like, what don't you what, like think they're smarter than the writer? And what don't you think you should do this instead? Like, but, but so anyway, uh, I was reading through Devin's story at one point and it got to that whole quote and, and talk that she was just discussing about comparing Ahsoka to Gandalf. And I was like, oh my God, how happy is Devin right now making this comparison? <laughs> like, just like mind melding and merging like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. She's so happy. I didn't make that comparison. That was a direct quote from Rosario Dawson. But when, Dawson. But when she, she did, you must have just been like, yes, tell me more about that. Let's tell <laughs> I was like, so that's people. going in the story. <laughs> yeah. Totally. You know when you have those interviews and like, they're going good and somebody gives you a quote and you're like, oh, well, that's going in the story. There yep. you go. That's it. Or like, yep. that's my lead or that's whatever. There, there's know? my headline. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Um, I want to get into, um, before we get into some of the plot points of, of the show, I want to get into another sort of a, I don't want to call it a cloud over, over hanging over the, the show, but obviously a very unfortunate, tragic situation, which was the death of Ray Stevenson, who plays Balon, who's, you, you know, you've seen him. He's been sort of the lead bad guy so far in the trailers that you've seen. And actually he narrates, his, the, he narrates the first yeah. one. Yeah. It's his yeah. voice. That's his speech. So he's a Big, big, big part of this show. Um, talked to him at Star Wars Celebration. Like I said, the guy was euphoric to be part of the Star Wars franchise. Just kept talking about how much he just walking on the set, how mind blowing it was. And um, watching him interact with his co-stars was so fun, especially uh, Vanna Sakno, um, who plays Shin. And she would talk how he would just uh, you know, sing who let the dogs out, but who let the shin out? Like they had this like really fun back and forth rapport. And so obviously then the terrible news when just, you know, I think about six weeks later, uh, he very suddenly and tragically dies. Um, you spoke to the cast, obviously, after that event, Devin, for this cover story. So tell me how they were feeling about this. I mean, we know how they're feeling about this, but what were their thoughts about Ray, about working with Ray, and now not having Ray as this uh, show finally makes it out to the public. Yeah, it was a, it was a real. You could tell it was really emotional for all of them. You know, most of them, you know, brought it up unprompted. They were like, "I can't." It, I think a lot of people are still in shock. You know, because they talked about how Ray is a huge part of this show. It's not like you know he was just there for a couple episodes and, and disappeared. You know, it was it's he. They they talked about how you know he really is kind of the the thing that everybody said is he plays this very menacing very you know very very intense bad guy but off screen he was this like beacon of light and joy and i know that's something that when you spoke to him you got the same impression and and something his his co-stars talked about a lot just how he's always laughing and Rosario said, you know, he's a big guy. I think he's like, I think he was like six, three or something like that. And she's like, but he was just like the most gentle kind, like, like constantly giggling and laughing and just so excited to, to be on set. And um, Rosario said also, they have a couple fight scenes that are, that are pretty intense. And she's like, there were a couple times where like, you know, the director would call cut and she was like, and Ray would be like, are you good? And she was like, Oh my God, I thought you were going to like, you know, come after me. It was, <laughs> it was really intense, but, but they all said that, you know, his, his ferocity like on screen was, was basically kind of only outmatched by, you know, how kind he was and what a, what a nice person. So it was really, it, it was really, you know, emotional to get to talk to them because I think for a lot of them, it's, it's still, it's, it's still huge shock. And it's, I think it's a, a big loss. And, and all of them talked about Ray 
couldn't wait for people to meet this character and really fall in love with this character. And they were like, I, I think once he makes his debut, he's going to be, you know, people are really, really going to connect with this character because of, of Ray's performance. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so terrible, the news and like his family. I just feel so much sadness for them. I, I guess if you're going to look for the tiny bit of a silver lining to this terrible, terrible situation is just that at least we have his work on this show to remember him by um, because he looks awesome in it. Like he looks so, and like, like you said, that narration in the first trailer is so just sort of menacing and just, and, and, and just, it's such a controlled power, like that he, that you see in this footage and these trailers. And so, you know, I think maybe, you know, we'll be able to appreciate him a little bit more in this, knowing that, that this will be, I don't know if this is his final work. I know he's working on something else. I'm not sure if that's coming out or not, but like, you know, he, at least he got to be in this and got to be in part of this franchise, which he'd been part of for doing voice work, but not live action. Uh, and we can all just appreciate the, how incredible he seems to be in the show. All right, let's, let, let's, let's stick with the bad guys. I want to talk to you about Thrawn and Lars Mikkelsen playing Thrawn because as, as excited as we all are for Ahsoka and like we said, 15 years, right? Well, it's been like 32 years since Thrawn was first introduced. Um, he first was in Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire trilogy, the character, and is, I think, indisputably the most popular expanded universe character ever. Um, you know, Mara Jade's in there as well. But Thrawn is just, I mean, he was electric. He's this brilliant tactician uh, working for the Empire. And then it was kind of surprising when he made the leap into canon on Rebels. And now he's going to make his leap into live action. And I'm so happy, Devin. What I'm really also curious about, because if you're super nerdy like me, you've been reading all these Thrawn books. And you know I've talked to you about this. There's like a bazillion Thrawn books now. They've made new trilogies and new yep. books and this that are now canon, while the old canon stuff is now not canon. And they're of varying quality, these books. But the one thing about them is that they, what they've done is they've made Thrawn into like a good guy, right? Like they show him with his old, with his alien species working with them. And he's like, he's still brilliant. He's still cunning, but he's, he's the hero. And it kind of reminds me a little bit. I've made this comparison of Xena. Like when Xena first showed up, she was a, a villain in Hercules. And yes, I'm talking about like 1990s syndicated <laughs> TV shows now. And then they, they gave Xena her own show. And then they of course had to make Xena a hero. And I like Thrawn as a villain. You know what I mean? I want Thrawn as the bad guy. I don't want Thrawn as the good guy or the explaining why he's working for the Empire and like he has his reasons and just make him the bad guy. And I'm assuming that is what this show is going to do. He certainly was the bad guy in Rebels. But I'm a little curious, Devin, because the new books, which I guess are canon, he's not the bad guy. Yeah, that was something that that I'm also really curious about because this is like you said this is a character that has a, you know, 3 decades of history off screen. You know, we talk about the long journey for Ahsoka. I mean, it's been an even longer journey for Thrawn. Um and this is a character who, you know, I I spoke to Lars Mikkelsen about this and he assumed that, you know, when Rebels ended, he was like this was fun. I doubt I'll ever do this again. Um, but he says um, during his last day recording, you know, his voice lines for Rebels, Dave Filoni said, hey, have you ever been to Los Angeles? 
And uh, Lars Mikkelsen was like, no. And Dave was like, let's let's see if we can make that happen. And Lars Mikkelsen was like, well, that was weird. And then never thought about it again until he got a call like a year and a half later from Dave Filoni saying, hey, we're making the show. Would you be down to play Thrawn again in live action? And he said, oh, my God, absolutely, yes. Um so it's it's really interesting. So this is something that clearly Dave Filoni has been thinking about for a while. I think, you know, the the Rebels was sort of the test run of sort of like, okay, we're going to bring this character into the on-screen canon um and kind of see how he can he can fit into this this story. Um and it was really fun to to, to talk to Lars Mikkelsen about this role. You know, I I asked him, you know, uh, did you compare Star Wars notes with with your brother Mads Mikkelsen, who was obviously in Rogue One, and he was like, "Not yet, but we need to, you know, we need to meet and talk about it." Um, and so, but it was it was really, I'm really curious to kind of see what the show does with Thrawn. They were very tight lipped about you know specific plot details, but you know, all of them said he is like in full menace mode. Like he's very conniving. He's very there. You know, something Lars said was. He's very like unsettlingly calm. You know, he's not yeah. like raging and and you know throwing things or whatever. But there's there's a sort of a quiet menace to him that I think is going to be really really fun to see in in the Star Wars universe in live action. Yeah, um, I, I just again, if you if you have not read all these books because you're not a loser like I am, and now you do <laughs> want to read them, don't read the new ones. Go go read Heir to the Empire uh, by Timothy Zahn. Start there. Read that whole trilogy. That's the Thrawn. You want to read. Um, let's talk about some people that we may or may not see. And let's, we could start with the villains and Darth Vader. Now it was first, there were some rumors out there that when Hayden Christensen was coming back for Obi-Wan Kenobi, that he was also going to come back for Ahsoka. Lucasfilm will neither confirm nor deny. I'm assuming we're going to see him, Devin. I'm assuming we're going to see Darth Vader. Ahsoka and Vader slash Anakin had a, you know, he was her, as you mentioned, previous uh, master, they had a battle on Rebels. Uh, it just seems, how could you have an Ahsoka show? And Darth Vader is still out there. Uh, how could you not have a, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, have them together? When I say he's still out there, you know, this the, these shows can jump around from timelines too, right? Like we can see flashbacks, you can see different things. Like we saw in Obi-Wan Kenobi, they went back and did the training between Anakin and, and uh, Obi-Wan. So like, do you think we're going to see Anakin or Vader? And if so, which one? Good question. I mean, I think at this point, again, Lucasfilm is, they are not telling anything. They're like, they refuse to either confirm or deny. But I mean, it is Rosario Dawson and Hayden Christensen have a history. They starred together in Shattered Glass. They've been friends for a million years. I would not be surprised if, you know, this, this show is sort of entering production around the same, and same time as Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, or, or started shortly after Obi-Wan Kenobi. I would not be surprised if we saw some sort of something, whether it was a, you know, um, a flashback or a force ghost or something. Um, but I, I think we're gonna, we're gonna, we go, you have to, you can't do Ahsoka in live action without some sort of nod to, you know, Anakin and Vader, because that is so much a part of her story. Um, so I, I'm willing to bet that, that we're going to see something. I think it's just a question of when and kind of in what context. Uh, another, another character that I'm just assuming we're going to see is Zeb. Zeb is the one member of the ghost crew that has not been sort of confirmed to show up here on Ahsoka. However, 
we did see him on The Mandalorian. He, he popped true. up. So the fact that they put him there and we knew the Ahsoka series was coming, I was like, all right, like clearly Zeb's going to show up here, right? Like you can't do this show and have the entire ghost crew and have it introduce Zeb on The Mandalorian and then not have him show up on Ahsoka. Be like Zeb was off on another planet. Yeah, he, like, you know, on was, was unavailable. Um, no, I mean, we're going to see a lot of, you know, familiar faces. Uh, you know, obviously, so much of this story is going to center around the hunt for Ezra Bridger. Um, obviously, we've got Sabine and Hera and Chopper and, you know, all of these familiar, familiar faces. So I think I, I would be very surprised if, if we didn't see Zeb. But again, has yet to be confirmed. And, and I think the question is, in what context? I know answers are scarce at this point, but anything like any intel on like Sabine, because Sabine, we see like she's got a lightsaber. Like it looks like the way she's talking with Ahsoka, it looks like Ahsoka was like training her. Like, are there some Jedi skills here or what's happening? Yeah. So it was really fun to talk to Natasha Lou Bordizzo. Um, she talked about, you know, how when she auditioned for this role, she had no idea what she was auditioning for. But, you know, when she was reading it with her friend, she was kind of like, I'm kind of getting like Han Solo vibes from this character, but I don't really know what this is for. And then she gets the call later that it's like, one, that remember that thing you read for a couple weeks ago? One, it's Star Wars. And two, you got the part. <laughs> do you want to do you want to do it? Um, but it was it was really, you know, she talked about, you know, the basically Ahsoka finds Sabine kind of picking up Ezra's old lightsaber and kind of going on this path of training and training under, under Ahsoka. And we see that a little bit in the trailer, um, you know, where she sort of decides to set on this path. Now there's a question like, is she force sensitive? Is she like fully following the path of the Jedi? Because obviously that's something Ahsoka sort of walked away for, from, um, so it's kind of a it's kind of a question mark, but it was really fun to talk to Natasha about sort of like the the training that went into this and like learning to fight with a lightsaber it, because it's a very specific skill and sort of like learning how to get it right and also you know understanding that this is a character who at this point in time is incredibly you know capable and is a, like a trained Mandalorian warrior and has like all of this history, but also kind of doesn't really know much about working with a lightsaber. Obviously she's held the dark saber before, but you know, there's a different kind of, you know, so there's a different kind of fight style that comes to, to using a lightsaber. So she's talked about that being something that was really fun. And, and um, everybody I talked to was like the stunts and the action in this, in this episode or in this series is, is really, really elevated and really, really fun. So I'm, I know that's something that I'm super excited for because, you know, we haven't really had Outside of Obi-Wan, we haven't really had like an episodic Star Wars live action TV show that's like had lightsabers and Jedi and force users. Um, you know, we got a little bit of it in obviously in uh, in Obi-Wan, but outside of that, we haven't really gotten that much of it. So I'm, I'm a little I'm kind of excited for some lightsaber action. I feel like it's been a while since we've since we've had that as much as I love, you know, Andor and the Mandalorian and, and all of that. I'm I'm excited for a little, you know, force lightsaber Jedi action. Which is why I'm so pumped for the Acolyte, because I yeah, yes. we're gonna have a lot of that. A lot of that. A lot. Of, and that's also why I think that I tend to like Obi-Wan more than I think you and our former co-host mm -hmm. Lauren Moore, more. Not that you guys hated it or anything. No. But I think but I think that's why, like, there's those highs of those lights. I'm such a like a, a nerd when it comes to that stuff that if you if you give me a good lightsaber battle, like I'm in. Like and um and Obi-Wan Kenobi gave us a like I think three of those um so uh definitely excited to see more of that agree completely um anything else you want to say about about this story or this show that sort of uh, percolated in your brain as you were writing uh, writing your cover story 
You know, it was interesting. I talked to everybody and everybody talks so reverently about, um, you know, Rebels and the animated series. And obviously, you know, people kind of talked about this as being, you know, kind of the next season of, of, of Rebels, sort of a, a sequel in a, in, a, in a way. But also, you know, one of the tricky things about this show is that it kind of has to, it's kind of got a little bit of a tall order, right? You've got a kind of sort of two audiences you have to satisfy. One, you have the hardcore nerds like us and like Lauren Morgan, who have seen every single episode of every animated show and, you know, are, are waiting for sort of like this, this show to sort of be the next chapter of that and, and fulfill all of these, you know, storylines that people have been following. And then you've got the people who have never seen a single minute of the Clone Wars or never watched an episode of Rebels and are just going to tune into this because, hey, I, I remember that character from The Mandalorian or whatever. So it's kind of a tricky thing for from a writing perspective for like a creative team to pull off, how do you, you know, satisfy those two audiences when, you know, you have to make this accessible to people who are brand new and have no idea who Zeb is. And then you have to also make it, you know, kind of satisfying for the people who have been following the story for 15 years and do know Ahsoka inside and out. So, and that's something that, you know, the, the creative team is very well aware of. That's something, you know, Carrie Beck talked about. That's one of the big challenges of this show. Um, and so I'm really curious to kind of see how they pull it off and, you know, who winds up being the audience for, for this show. Is it going to be a big, massive crossover, you know, hit like the way The Mandalorian was, or is it going to be more, you know, for the kind of like the hardcore Star Wars nerds? So I'm really curious to see kind of how they thread that needle and kind of how they, they figure out that balance. And the tricky, when, when Devin says that it's tricky from a writing perspective, it is tricky because what you have to do is Harrow walks on screen, right? And the people that didn't watch Rebels have no idea who this person is. Exactly. And the people who did know everything about her. So like, how do you like introduce this character without giving really long, painful, expository dialogue? Like, well, since you were in love with Kanan Jarrus before he died, <laughs> sacrificing himself for the ship, like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't. You, you can't do all that. So you have to sort of get certain things across that the fans will know, but you also have to bring the new fans in to, to meet this character without boring the other people. So it is tricky. Not that it can't be done. Of course it can be, but yeah, it is. It is something I'm sure in the writing room they had to, had to think a lot about. Um, well, we've got a few weeks to wait uh, for the show. The good news is like De Devin did all these interviews and a lot of them we're going to have for, to play for you coming up in the weeks leading up to, the Ahsoka premiere. So we'll have lots more Ahsoka for you all. And you all are going to be able to hear straight from the stars, which will be super uh, cool. Uh, speaking of straight from the stars in a little bit, we're going to have my interview with um, Andy Serkis and Genevieve O'Reilly talking Andor season one and season two. So uh, stay tuned for that, but let's switch over to a, yet another Star Wars property really quickly. Uh, another series, um, which, and we've seen a, a fair amount of this with Star Wars properties over the years with, you know, certain creative visionaries going in, then going out and new people coming in and take it over. And I'm talking about Lando. Um, Devin, it was announced back in like 2020, I think that, uh, that basically there was going to be a Lando, December, 2020, that there was going to be a Land, uh, Lando Calrissian series. Not a lot else was said about it then. Is it going to be Donald Glover? Is it going to be Billy D. Williams? What's going to happen? All we kind of knew is that Justin Simeon, who uh, is best known for Dear White People, was going to write and develop the show. And since then, uh, no word. Until 
what was it, last week or so when basically uh, the news came out that Donald Glover and his brother are now going to be taking over on Lando. And I'm fascinated by this because apparently Justin Simeon found out on Instagram while, while like seeing a story about it. He literally Instagrammed out. This is a picture of the news article about Donald Glover and his brother taking over and, and wrote, this is me finding out right now. Uh, and that's even more juicy because Justin Simeon at the exact same time was doing promotion for another Disney movie that he directed, The Haunted Mansion. Devin, yeah. things are getting soups awkward. Yeah, this is this is really interesting. So this broke last week and... Um, you know, obviously, Justin Simeon has directed the new Haunted Mansion movie. He's been on this big press tour. He's been asked about Lando a lot, you know, because this was a show that was announced, gosh, back in December 2020. It's been a while since this has been in the works. And I think, you know, when this was first announced, it sort of came as no surprise. Everybody loves Lando. Everybody agrees that, you know, Donald Glover's performance um, in Solo is one of the big highlights of Solo. This is a character we'd love to see more of. Um, so I think it's no surprise that people, you know, every time Justin Simeon does an interview, people are like, hey, what happened to that Lando show you were going to make? And he gave a lot of quotes being like, I don't know. I was really excited about it. I haven't heard anything else about it. But to my knowledge, I'm still involved. And then it comes <laughs> out a couple days later, like, guess he's not still involved. Um, and also complicating things is that Apparently, this whole deal went down, you know, prior to the writer's strike beginning, obviously, which began in May. Um, so I, I feel a little bad for Justin Simeon. You know, like, it sounds like he, you know, made this pitch and they decided not to move forward with it. But, you know, you'd think he would maybe get a little bit of a heads up like, hey, you know, we're Disney and we're about to send you on this long press tour for a Disney movie, knowing that people are going to ask you about this other Disney project we publicly hired you for. Um, but we didn't maybe bother to tell you that you were no longer involved in it. Um, so I don't know. I think th it could be behind the scenes. I don't, I don't know details, but that sort of, you know, struck me as a little like, huh, interesting. Well, by the way, he's doing a press for another Disney movie, which by the way, stars Ahsoka, Rosario True. Dawson, Haunted <laughs> Mansion. And it makes you wonder, Devin, listen, I don't know. I haven't seen Haunted Mansion. Uh, it's not gotten great reviews. And you, you do wonder do they see what was happening with Haunted Mansion and say, mm, not sure we want to hand the Lando keys to this guy? Or did, you know, everyone wants to be in business with Donald Glover and did Donald Glover say, I'll do a Lando series, but only if I'm me and my brother who did Atlanta and Atlanta is one of my favorite shows, like in the history of television, we're only doing this if, if we're doing this. And which is very, which is, you know, very, um, I don't want to say likely, but very, very possible as well. Right. Yeah, again, we don't know the behind the scenes of how this went down. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's no surprise that, you know, obviously Donald Glover's incredibly talented, like not just as an actor, but in every regard. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually very excited to see sort of his take from a writing perspective on, on this character. And again, we don't know anything about this show. We don't know if it's set before Solo, after Solo. I'm assuming it's going to be set sort of after Solo, pre Empire Strikes Back. Um, but again, we don't know anything. It could be, anything. Um, heck, maybe they'll get Billy D. Williams back. I honestly don't know. It, literally anything is possible. Um, but I'm very curious. And I will say, you know, I I trust in, in Donald Glover, we trust. I, I really love the stuff that he's made. And, and he, I think he's a brilliant creative mind. And 
I'm very curious to to kind of see where this goes. We shall I, see. And I'm curious to see how, listen, you know, when you work on these movies, be it Lucasfilm movies or, or Marvel movies, you get some freedom, but you're also working kind of within a box, which is why a lot of times these projects, directors come and go, writers come and go. Atlanta is out there, man. Like there's some episodes that are freaking weird, right? I mean, whether it's, you know... <laughs> Black Justin Bieber or the Invisible Car or like the whole like Teddy Perkins or the the weird goofy movie episode like and which is what makes it so amazing. I'm not saying Donald Glover like wants to make a Lando show like that at all, but like if he does want to make it weird, are they going to let him make it weird? Are you said you trust Donald Glover? You know I trust Donald Glover because how much I love his <laughs> stuff. Is Disney going to trust him? Are they going to say you do you? Because that's, excuse me, is Lucasfilm going to trust me? Because I, I don't, that's not how they operate, right? Absolutely not. I mean, look at Solo, look at Lord and Miller. Um, so I, I, I'm, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, you mentioned how like Justin Simmons being asked about this. This is, I'm pretty sure, a Hollywood Reporter as part of their interview with him about Haunted Mansion. And they brought it up. They said, are you, and this is before the news came out. They said, are you still attached to write Disney Plus's Lando? And listen to his answer. He said, I'm attached, I think but I don't really know laughs. The last thing I was told was that they loved it, but they needed to put a pin in it until they could figure out everybody's availability. I haven't investigated further, but I'm not an idiot. I'm not alone in that experience, but I can't help but wonder, am I too black? Am I too queer? And people just don't want to say that because it seems like I develop things with these companies and they just never happen for reasons unknown. So listen, it's clear that at the very least, there was a lack of communication from Lucasfilm and Disney to Justin Simeon. And according to his Instagram, which said he found out about the news that he wasn't doing it and Donald Glover was by seeing the article break. So interesting it is, stuff. It is interesting stuff. And listen, listen, here we go. I'm going to use this discussion to pitch our Instagram poll because we are, excuse me, our uh, Spotify <laughs> poll. Because Sammy Junio, producer extraordinaire, has started putting polls up on, um, Spotify, if you listen to this podcast on Spotify. And um, I'll give you our poll results from last week in a second, but maybe that's our poll this week. If there's, because it, listen, you're right, Devin, it is possible, not probable, but it's possible this is a Billy D. Williams show. And Donald Glover just like wants to write it and produce it. So I guess the question maybe that we should pull out is who would you rather see as Lando? Oh. Billy D. Williams? A little older, more mature Lando, or younger Lando and Donald Glover, and uh, you can vote on that at Spotify. Where's your vote going, Devin? Oh, that's tough. I can I do the the cheat answer and say I want to see both of them. No, that's so <laughs> lame. That's so that's such a cop out. No, but okay. Here's here's my here's my serious answer though. I want to see both of them in the same show. Like, what if it's like I don't know, like old Lando, like reflecting Loki. on that's his... Loki. You're that's yeah, the ah! wrong show. It's the wrong franchise. You got like thirty Lokis running around. <laughs> no, I don't mean like them interacting. I mean like I don't know, maybe like Billy D. Williams is the narrator or something. Like you know, he's like looking back and like telling you know Lobot about his adventures. <laughs> Do, doesn't have to be the narrator. You're right, actually, Devin. It could be like different time, right? Right, like yeah. different time frames. Right? There's stuff like we see these different time frame shows all the time. You can see stuff as younger. So is older so they they could both be in it all right that's an option now in the poll Devin. <laughs> i can't Thank believe you. you got both in there 
but yes, is it is it Billy D? Is it Donald Glover? Is it both? You can all vote uh, on on Spotify if you listen to the podcast. There, I I always have the hardest time finding that stupid poll. So this week, I actually took a screenshot of it because I'm like, I'm never gonna be able to find it again. I'm never gonna be able to get back here when I need to see the, the poll results. So I pulled these poll results for last uh, week's question, but I don't know if these were the final results. Um, and so the question was, we talked in last week's podcast, which you should listen to if you haven't already, about some of our favorite Star Wars outfits, uh, you know, costumes, uniforms, or just whatever people are wearing. And then we put some of uh, our options here that people could vote for. And, uh, and the results are in, Devin. And in first place for your favorite Star Wars outfit, we had a tie, at least when I checked in, uh, <laughs> Princess Leia. And the Emperor's Guard Ooh. both got 27% of the vote. Nice. It's pretty good, right? Emperor's Guard coming in strong. Uh, right under that was Padme with 22%. A classic. Yep. And then after that was Orson Krennic. Ooh, great cape. 11%. Cape. 10 out of 10 cape. Yeah. And, and the hat. I love the hat. Uh, and then after that, another tie between... The aforementioned Lando Calrissian and Lobot, little Bespin, little Cloud City tie there, Devin, <laughs> at five percent. And then here's what makes me sad: the the Narkina Five prisoner uniforms got zero percent. Literally nobody voted for that. Womp womp. I know. I got skunked on that one. That was bad. <laughs> uh, anyway, go go vote in our poll. And by the way, shout out to you, and shout out to Sammy Junio, and shout out to our former host Lauren Morgan, who you may be hearing again soon on this show um, as she comes on from time to time as a guest. But apparently our crack producer pointed out that this is our 60th episode together, Devin. Where's the time gone? Oh my gosh. Look at us. Look, it's, it's like that, 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 um, the, the Paul Red meme where, Hey, look at us. <laughs> Did you do everything? Nope. Not me. I feel like Sally O'Malley. I was 60 years old and we kick and stretch and kick. I know that was 50, but I'm just going to use it for 60. Um, yeah, it works. Yeah. I, if you look at our feed, it probably says more than 60 episodes because we kind of hijacked a previous Star Wars podcast uh, that EW did, <laughs> which maybe wasn't the best idea because like the, the, they all got review bombed after Darren like didn't like The Witcher or something. It's so true. like they got it's like true. a million zero point zero reviews maybe wasn't the best strategic call on our part but uh, what's done is done <laughs> uh so help us out that's what i'm saying now help us out with a good review uh, and a good rating because we're still trying to inch our way back up from literally like 0. 0. uh and uh that, that it's true. Nice. We promise not to trash the Witcher. Give, if you give us a good review, That's exactly. We're staying out of that whole situation. <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. So look, we have another uh, killer interview for you this week. We chatted with two of the stars of Andor, Genevieve O'Reilly, who looks absolutely fabulous playing Mon Mothma, and Andy Circus, who also looks fabulous in that Narkina Five Prison <laughs> Factory gear. No matter what our poll says. Uh, they stop by before the actors strike, and we've got that conversation all queued up and ready for you right after this super quick break. So, uh, Genevieve, are Mon Mothma and Cassian finally going to meet in this show? I mean, I can't tell you that, but, uh, well, we expect them to collide at some point. Did, did season one feel 
in a weird way, like you were working almost on a completely different show because you were in this nice apartment or these nice art galleries, and the mm. rest of the show was very kind of grimy, dirty, and with a, happening somewhere else with other actors. What was that like? Yeah, I, th- I feel like actually for all of us, um, I, I feel like our our narratives, our stories were almost in parallel. You know, there's there's uh, the different worlds. There was the world of Ferrex, there was a uh, Narkina, there was Marn um, Moth's world in. Um, Coruscant, there was um, Cyril and uh, Dedra's world. So they were all, I feel like it was, it's a beautiful beginning to a big story where each of the characters has a vital space of their own. So we really lean into each of them. And obviously you're right, Mon Mothma's was very much in the world of the Senate and Coruscant and um, it felt very luxurious, <laughs> very different to say Yavin where she was in Rogue One. It was extraordinary to be able to begin her story, to go backwards and begin this story in such an antithetical place to where we found her before in Rogue One. And as we're connecting those dots, and now we have dot A, which is Andor, and the other dot, which is Yavin 4, where are we going to see her at the start of season two, which picks up a year after season one? Where is she at this point? Well, I think, like I said, I think um, Tony has created uh, an extraordinary platform of characters. So you know what our ideals are, you know what our passions are, you know uh, where our individual complications are, you know what we're passionate about. And certainly with Mon Mothma, you know what drives her, you know what secrets she's hiding, you know what she's passionate about, you know what she's frightened of. And that's where we jump off for in season two. And if season one was a year in a season, then from season two, every three episodes, we jump a year. So it becomes this very focused, very lasered juggernaut of storytelling. And it's very exciting to be a part of. How is that as an actor for you to have to recalibrate every few episodes where your character's head is at? Well, for us, it feels like a film. Like, uh, I, I know it's crazy to say that, but it feels like a 12-episode film. Usually, as uh, on film, we have to manage not just our own little narrative arcs, our own little character arcs, but also different timelines or when things happen. So this just feels like a very luxurious, um, high-production-valued film. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, when you first signed on for season one, what were the discussions like then about Kino uh, being part of the show after that? Um, well, the, the, there weren't really many discussions about you know, the, the, the afterlife of Kino. Um, I mean, all that we do know is that he survives. I mean, we don't see him die. We see him left. And there is potential therefore for uh, um you know for a further for the for a further life of the character so so yeah there were there were but there were no prior to that there were no discussions at all about about um, what might happen afterwards i was just excited enough about about the arc that uh, that i had to play which was which was a, a really beautifully crafted um you know illustration of a man who has a belief system that gets broken that then has nothing to believe in that that then gets kind of reignited by by 
someone who inspires him to to find himself again and then and then self sacrifices so it was, so it was, a, it was a really extraordinary journey to to go on within a within a prison setting in a very sterile prison setting um a quite a heart quite a heartfelt journey considering the the environment that they're in but that but that's the brilliance as we as we've been saying about tony gilroy's writing he provides these um these environments for characters to th- to sort of thrive and survive in and uh, and you learn you learn about you learn their internal journey their psychology their co- complex um or, or complexities and flaws um, in in response to into in the response to the world that they're in. I think that's such a huge moment, an emotional moment, when he gets up on the roof and then says, looks out and says, "I can't swim." How much did you work about how you wanted to deliver that line? Like, did you think about different ways to put it out there? We did, and I, I did uh, did it a number of various different ways, and it was something that that needed that kind of exploration. And we were lucky enough to have the time to be able to do that because, because you know, shooting on a on a TV schedule often you, you know it's a very quick, unlike film, where you can take time to between takes you can evolve a, a journey. But but actually, we were it, it demanded a, diff, a, a, um, a different set of. Uh, responses or a different set of investigations rather into how that would be delivered because it was a it, you know it's a key moment so so we, we were lucky enough to oh I was lucky enough to get the chance to to explore. And I know when they first approached you you had some I don't know, concerns but questions like well is this going to be weird I play Snoke are they are weird fan theories going to go around about who this guy <laughs> is? Exactly so right. what's what's the episode went out what did you make of the reaction to, to Kino Loy? I mean, I, I've been amazed and delighted that that the, that people have responded to the character. And again, it's sort of a combination of of Tony Gilroy's excellence in authoring these characters in the way that he has, but also there's something very zeitgeist about about the oppression that that is happening in the story, and something that feels that you know the one way out and the and the the, the battle cry not the battle cry but the the, the desire for freedom um, is something that I think really resonates because of the world that we're living in and and the, and the oppression that that we see all around us and so so I think I think that's something that. Um, you know that that that's why I think he's been taken into in you know he's been accepted in the way that he has been by 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 the audiences that I've met and talked to and the people that respond to the character. Genevieve, as you, you guys have talked about and you talked about earlier, how you had all these different, almost different shows happening all at once. That was a big part of season one. As Andy talks about the fight for freedom, how much is season two is still going to be these different? factions of the rebellion right and everyone sort of has a different goal and a different method of how they want to achieve that goal and how extreme they're going to be how much are we still going to be seeing all that in season two that is something that i really love about tony's authorship that's a beautiful word that you used um, of the piece and that it is not in any way binary that there isn't, that there are many, many ideals within an umbrella of an ideal, that there are many voices, and that uh, with, and, and this is actually talking about for the empire side as well as the, uh, as the rebellion side, there 
there is nuanced complications, that there is no, there, there is not a, a right, that there is not one voice, that there is not a singularity, that nobody knows Luke Skywalker yet. Nobody knows about the Death Star yet. There's no collective um, enemy. It's oppression. Mm -hmm. And oppression has many masks and many veils. And it is insidious. And so they must all find their own individual voices. They must get it wrong. They must fight. They must rise up against each other in order to find a collective. Because it's in that way, like um, Andy was saying, reflective in our world today, we have to be able to have discourse, to have rotten discourse, to have complicated discourse in order to find a common ground. And I think that is what Andor is truly investigating. Mm. As we talk about all these important topics, before we let you go, we have to hit on the most important thing of all, Mon Mothma's fashion. She is a fashion icon for I mean, <laughs> I mean what, what sort of looks in season two can you sort of tease? I can't tell you how excited I am. Uh, first of all, <laughs> Michael Wilkinson is our costume designer. And him, along with our production designer, Luke Hull, they are geniuses of their crafts. And I get to be really heavily involved with Michael Wilkinson. And he doesn't just make costumes, he curates costumes. Hmm. And at the moment, we're, as I said, um, waist deep in season two. And... I'm so excited. I'm so excited for you to see some of her outfits, not just hers, but like I was filming the other day and I can't say much about it, but I I stood in a room full of people, some of whom I know, some of whom characters I know and plenty who I didn't. And I just was awestruck at the detail of the work around me. He's invested in detail of supporting artists having their own history and um yeah i can't i can't wax lyrical more about michael wilkinson and the costumes that i get to wear and collaborate on and it's a really special and beautiful experience and Arkino had a good look there on Arkino. i well, mean the, the, in the next iteration the dolce and gabbana suits that the prison suits are pretty spectacular i have to say a little bit overdone in my mind but but you know but, but nevertheless can't wait to... Uh, Autumn, winter 2024, <laughs> yeah, just going to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That was great, guys. Thanks so much. It was awesome. Cheers. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks to Genevieve O'Reilly and Andy Circus for hanging out with us this week. And thank you for hanging out with us as well. And if you want to thank us, please make sure to tell your friends about the podcast. And please subscribe and rate us and write a, a nice review. That would be super awesome. You can connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross and at Devin Kogan. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch Podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Executive produced by Chanel Johnson. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.